and welcome to that tech pod. Uh, we have a special bonus episode for you today. I'm Gabby Schulte. Your co-host Laura Milstein is out today. There's a lot going on with Facebook and what all of the uh, whistleblower revelations uh, and hearings mean for big tech. Also, what the heck happened with uh, Facebook and all of its apps shutting down. We're going to go over all of that. Let's jump into it. Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen appeared before a Senate panel on Tuesday. The panel was fired up about a recent wave of revelations about the company. Lawmakers focused on Facebook's own research, finding Instagram made body issues worse for about one in three teenage girls and the platform's decisions to not share those results. The Senate Commerce Subcommittee on Consumer Protection also touched on algorithmic amplification of dangerous content, Facebook's approach to moderation outside of the U.S., and how to craft policy. This, of course, follows Haugen's interview with 60 Minutes, where she revealed a lot of these issues with Facebook, as well as the widespread outage of the company and its associated apps on Monday. Here to talk major takeaways from the hearing and what all of this could mean for big tech is research director at the American Economic Liberties Project and author of a monopoly-focused newsletter on Substack, Big, Matt Stoller. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So what were your major takeaways from the hearing on Tuesday? You know, it's hard for me to sort of see what it meant because I've been paying attention to big tech for, I don't know, maybe five, 10 years and really thinking about the problems and nothing that the whistleblower said was new to anybody who's paid attention to it. Even the very, even the sort of shocking stuff like, Oh, Instagram is bad for teenage girls. makes them want to kill themselves. You know, you don't really need to be an insider. You don't need to have documents to know that. You just have to have used Instagram or like talk to a teenage girl. I mean, Instagram makes me insecure and I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm an adult man, right? I'm married. This, yeah. There's no reason, but like it gives me body image issues. Right. So it's like, if it's, it's like, it's like, we, you know, I'm shocked that gambling is going on here, right? We know that. So right. the fact that there are documents showing that Facebook knew it too. I mean, uh, you know, like another, another point is, you know, one of the documents that I don't think got a lot of attention, but I think is legally creates a lot of problems for Facebook is the whistleblower Francis Haugen gave uh, documents to the securities exchange commission saying that Facebook's been lying about its advertising reach, which would be probably securities fraud and, uh, and just fraud against advertisers, which is criminal criminal behavior. Yeah. Uh, it's not the first uh, allegation of criminal behavior um, that Facebook engaged in, but it's just one more. So, you know, but we, we kind of knew that already because Facebook was bragging to advertisers that they have they, their audience in the U S has more teenagers than there actually are in the U S. So we, mm. we know that they were lying about this stuff or misleading. Now we know that they were kind of intentionally deceptive, but which, which has criminal implications, but it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't change my view of, of Facebook. Right. So it's hard to know. I mean, a lot of bad press 
Yeah, and I, I think most of the policymakers kind of know a lot of this stuff already. It's just that it kind of gives gives confidence to policymakers who want to do something about the problem. I, I, I do think that there is still a tremendous amount of disagreement about what to do. So some some of the advocates and policymakers want to break up these firms. Um, you know, some don't. The, the, the whistleblower said, you know, we need to impose stricter rules, uh, give, give them more liability for what's on their platform, particularly based on the algorithms. So what she says is, look, everything should just be reverse chronological order. You shouldn't get algorithms feeding you stuff because that just creates polarization. But so it's a good idea. But on the other hand, she's like, we don't want to break up Facebook. And she had sort of weird reasons for why. And we want to keep this giant monopoly and then create a regulatory agency full of ex-Facebook staffers to kind of keep an eye on it, which is like a really bad idea. So like it's a lot of this stuff is super helpful. Like the documents are really important. And I was actually very impressed with the whistleblower. I thought she, she was really uh, compelling and had a lot of interesting things to say, but there's still a lot of confusion about, uh, about what the right policy approach is to addressing the, this, this, the problem of big tech. Right. What, before we get into kind of the, the ins and outs of what to do about it, why do you think there's, you know, apart from this person, for whatever reason, being able to come out now, um, why do you think there is kind of um, this magnifying glass on Facebook right now? You know, we're seeing that uh, lawmakers on each side of the aisle are taking, seem to be taking this seriously. Um, and of course, you know, Facebook has come under fire before, but it seems like um you know, this is kind of uh, a little bit more at the forefront. Why do you think that's happening right now? I, I think it was the, the mix of the documents being pretty explosive and also a very savvy PR campaign by by Haugen and the people around her. I mean, she got good documents and then they, they leaked them out to the Wall Street Journal, which did a series of explosive stories, you know, Facebook knowingly jeopardizes the health of teenage girls. Facebook has a special uh, tier for elites. This is a series of, you know, they know their stuff is more incendiary. And then, you know, doing this, this testimony, plus the outage. I think the outage had, you know, when this Facebook went down for six hours, it had, a, it had an impact. Um, so it was just a good, it was, it was a good PR strategy by, by Haugen, and then I think, you know, for the last five years, we've been making the case that these firms are too powerful and they cause a lot of problems. And so, you know, it's like that leaves a lot of kindling out and uh, mm-hmm. so it's easy to start fires. Yeah. And so you mentioned Haugen had, um, you know, she didn't necessarily want to break up Facebook and had some weird reasons why, um, you know, even if say we were to do something like she, she suggested where there would be a lot of regulation into Facebook. Do you think we would even be able to do that? Or, you know, what, what are, can you kind of go into some of the ins and outs of, of, of kind of what the next steps might be, even though that's kind of a hard thing to answer right now. Right. So, yeah, so there, there's it's not clear what the what the next thing that's going to happen is policy wise. There are 
you know, there's an, there are several antitrust cases against Facebook to try to split them up. There are different ideas for rules. The Federal Trade Commission, which has one of these cases against Facebook, may, you know, people have been asking the FTC to implement, to write rules on data collection and advertising. So ban surveillance uh, advertising. So there, you know, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. I think there's a lot of discussions in Europe about what to do as well. And I think Mark Zuckerberg himself is now slowing product development and having his teams look at existing products to see whether they can make improvements or maybe it's just a PR thing, who knows. So it's, it's not totally clear to me what the next step is. Uh, I will say, I guess your other question is, is it, was, was it about splitting up the companies or what was the? Yeah. So Haugen's sort of response, you know, she says she didn't want to break up Facebook. Um, can you kind of just go over your case to why that it would be her, her uh, response would be a bad idea? Yeah. So generally speaking, competition causes platforms to improve their quality. Um, so, so the way that, Facebook originally competed with MySpace is they said MySpace is this place that anybody can go and they, you know, I don't know if you remember MySpace, but like anybody can talk to you, including scam artists or creepy people or whatever, come to Facebook. We won't sell your data. We'll keep everything private. It'll be safe. You can, you know, you, 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 your data will only be shown to your friends. Um, it's kind of like private. And they, they even said, you know, you can vote on our privacy policy back in 2007. So it was like they competed with MySpace explicitly on product by differentiating their products on safety and privacy. And then they bought their competitor Instagram. They bought their competitor WhatsApp in 2014. They tossed all that aside. They even said, by the way, they wouldn't use cookies to track you for advertising. Then in 2014, they started surveilling everyone because they realized, oh, they don't have anywhere else to go. So if you split up firms that, and you create competition in a market, one of the ways that they will compete with each other is by improving product quality. So doing less surveillance, for example, uh, making it more secure or private, which is what people, a lot of people want. Right now, you can't really differentiate your product because you, you can't make any advertising money because Facebook controls the whole space. So that's one of the, that's kind of the reason. I mean, other reasons for competition is when firms have to compete, they spend their time thinking about competing. They don't spend their time thinking about how to capture the political system. Um, so that's another reason why you would want to, and we have some data on that. That's another reason why you would want competition. Um, what what Hawkins said was, we you don't want to split up Facebook from Instagram and WhatsApp because advertisers only want to advertise. They only want to learn one platform. And so if you split them up, she's like, most of the ad money will go to Instagram and then uh, Facebook will become this underfunded zombie social network, may, way more dangerous because they won't be able to invest in safety, but it'll keep going. And, um, and that's, that was her rationale, which is a very weird rationale because we've never had a situation in America where you've had, to, everyone had to like advertise only in one thing. We've always had multimedia or multi-channel advertising, advertising in TV and newspapers and magazines and the internet for branding launches, right? That's always been a thing. When you add new media types, you that's one more channel. The advertisers do go to one contact point. It's usually like an ad firm, like you saw in Mad Men. 
And then that firm plans and knows all the systems and then will do the multimedia channel ad buying. The reason that doesn't exist on the internet is because Facebook and Google control, basically, they have effectively specialized ad firms and you can only buy Facebook or, or Google content. And um, well, you can, they basically own the ad, you know, the ad buying firms. If they didn't own the ad buying firms, then uh, those ad buying firms would be able to buy across multiple platforms and publishers. And you would have, um, you would have the ability to, uh, you know, that, that what, what Hogan says wouldn't, wouldn't actually be a problem. So, you know, you can address this through antitrust by breaking off the kind of ad buying firm of Facebook, and then it will start to buy on multiple platforms uh, as, as we've always done throughout our history. So that, that was kind of like, her rationale, it wasn't stupid. It was actually, a, it, it was a thought through rationale, mm-hmm. but it was also, I don't think it's right. I think it was historically contingent on this weird, very monopoly heavy moment. Right. Um, I want to talk about the outage, um, but before... Before we do, do you think that uh, any of this, you know, I think that some um, conservatives are a little concerned about the implications of Section 230. What do you think about that part of it? And um, can you just quickly for our listeners just briefly explain what Section 230 is? Yeah, so Section 230 was passed in 1996. So Section 230 of what was called the Communications Decency Act, which was attached to the Telecommunications Act. And what it says is that if you have a website or a, a interactive computer service, which is can be pretty much anything at this point, then you are not responsible for what uh, anyone does on your website uh, or interactive computer service, your app or whatever. Um, you're only responsible for what you do. But if like if you have a website and somebody you know puts defamatory content or makes a terrorist threat or whatever, that's not your you don't, you're not legally liable for that. The person who who did that, who said it, is legally liable. And uh, you know it it made sense for some amount of time when the internet was new. Uh, you know it was not totally clear how to handle people. You know chat rooms, people saying defamatory things in chat rooms. Um, but now you have a, a, a situation where these firms have lots and lots of content that is um, you know, defamatory. They also sell defective products. In some cases, the, the products themselves are harmful. And Section 230 shields these firms from any kind of legal liability. So, for example, Facebook can knowingly harm teenage um, girls, but... You know, if you use the Instagram product, the way that you, your your self esteem goes down. But the way that Facebook could defend themselves legally is they would say, "Well, yeah, sure, that's true. We're not liable. If your friends are making you feel bad, they're the speakers. Yeah, yeah, sure. We have a a business model, and we do all the user interface to encourage addiction, to encourage fear of missing out. We sell ads on it, but we're not the speakers." So we're not liable. And that's Section 230. It precludes all sorts of legal claims that you would normally have. If if Facebook were liable for the harm that its products cause, and, and you, know, you have to go through the courts and prove it, it's not like it, this is not easy. It's not easy to prove a product liability claim. It's not easy to prove defamation. But if you can do it, um, then Facebook would actually change their user interface. They would 
impose safety standards. Like that's what firms do when they are liable for harm that their products cause. They try to reduce that harm. Yeah. And so do you think, you know, with the, as you said before, a lot of this, a lot of these so-called, you know, revelations that um, Hogan came out, uh, you know, we knew, we knew a lot of it, but with the documents kind of, do you think that is more backing for a case against Section 230 or, you know, for a case for um, uh, the, the FCC to kind of come down on Facebook? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I, you know, because it's sort of the Republicans are the ones who are more aggressive about getting rid of Section 230, although I think they're not totally there. But the, but the Democrats have all sorts of, um, you know, they, they want to protect it for a variety of reasons. And so to have somebody who I think, you know, the whistleblower leans, leans Democratic and I think was, is respected by the Democrats, this is respected by both parties, but the Democrats as well uh, kind of had more of a we really like your ideas kind of vibe to them. And there's a lot of suspicion of her on the right. But when she said, look, we need to modify Section 230, particularly get rid of um, immunity from liability when you amplify content with an algorithm. Like if you just like a straight up website or you're doing reverse chronological order in your feed, you're not liable. But if you're if you're amplifying and recommending people the content to people and selling advertising on top of that, then you are liable because um, you're that's kind of more like a speaker type of role. Right. That type of change to Section 230, you know, I think that probably got a big boost, at least on the Democratic side. Right. And, and so kind of lastly, I wanted to just talk about the outage a little bit. So, um, you know, obviously Facebook and, and all of its associated apps were down on Monday. Um, it was a widespread outage. Um, you know, Facebook said that I'm just trying to find their quote from it. Sorry. Uh, Facebook said that, you know, the culprit was due to changes uh, to its underlying Internet infrastructure. Um, but obviously, I think we as a society kind of learned in real time. Obviously, there are people studying this and talking about it and writing about it like you. But, um, you know, users kind of saw like, oh, Facebook owns almost all the social media that I use like, and, and that affected people on the very uh, minor level of maybe not being able to post, but then there were a lot of very serious implications. So what do you think, do you think any, that outage has anything, um, any sort of uh, implications of sort of, Oh, monopolies are, are actually bad. And, and then that sort of thing at, in a society level. I do. I, you know, there were, there were a lot of, uh, I think there were a lot of problems. You know, most people that I know are like, oh, you know, I switched over to different systems or they don't use Facebook, but a lot of businesses are dependent on Facebook. Um, A lot of people that use say things like cancer support groups have their cancer support groups on Facebook. And so Facebook is really embedded in the infrastructure of our society. So a lot of people really did have problems when, Uh, Facebook went offline. And then there's, of course, all the people abroad because because the vast majority of users are not in the U.S. Um, And and there is, you know, especially in countries where Facebook kind of is the Internet. It was a I think it was a a really, really big problem that Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp went down. 
it's also, I mean, I think that you are always going to have sort of outages. It's just sort of inevitable. Um, hopefully you can minimize them, but things go down in our world. But what was, I think, obvious when we saw this outage is that there is no reason to have Google, sorry, to have Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram all combined into one infrastructure. Because if you, you're, you're not only pooling um, market power, you're pooling risk. And so if the infrastructure goes down, all three of them go down. If they had been independent companies using different infrastructures, maybe Facebook would have gone down, maybe Instagram would have gone down, maybe WhatsApp would have gone down, but they wouldn't have all gone down at the same time. So it's a real illustration of the risk problem that we have when you have too much infrastructure controlled by one entity. Yeah, and and lastly, um, and actually lastly this time, because I know that I said that for the previous question, but um, do you, you know, you mentioned at the top that there were, you know, some pretty damning, obviously damning documents across the board, but for, you know, there were actually, you know, criminal implications. Do you think that, you know, Zuckerberg or anybody um, in the Facebook company will face any accountability for that? I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, well, we have a crisis of the rule of law right now. It's not, you know, Facebook is a creature of that crisis, but it's not, it's not limited to Facebook. You have the opioid example with the Purdue um, family, or sorry, the Sackler family. None of them uh, were held accountable. You have the financial crisis. It's kind of over and over and over, you right. see elite misbehavior and criminal behavior, and um, our authorities just don't. Uh, don't actually enforce the law against elites. And that's creating, I think, a really serious social crisis. Yeah, definitely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. guys, that was the bonus episode for that tech pod. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Be sure to check back on Tuesday. We will have our regular Tech Tuesday episodes out. um, So you don't want to miss it. Um, Also, if you want to check out Matt and um, check out more of his work, you can find him on Twitter at Matthew Stoller. Also, he has an awesome Substack newsletter like I mentioned at the top. It's called Big. You can get that at mattstoller.substack.com and also check out more of his work at mattstoller.com. Be sure to check out our work at www.techpod.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at that tech pod. Um, also, we are really trying to build up our subscriber um uh newsletter subscribers. So if you can just go to our website at thattechpod.com and Go to the bottom and there is a uh, subscribe button. You can enter your email, you know, on Twitter. You could find it. We have a link to it. Um, You know, so you may ask, why would I ever do that? Well, I will tell you why. It's because 
When there are bonus episodes, we put together a nice little email. We put out a transcript so you could read it, say, on your commute. You don't feel like listening to either of our voices. You can read it um, or you could read along to the podcast. Also, we put a little bit more of information. So, for example, if there's any news updates or anything new going on with the podcast, you won't miss a thing. So I highly recommend that you subscribe to our newsletter. Um, again, you can go to www.techpod.com enter your email at the bottom there and we will have your information forever also please like share and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast we would be eternally grateful uh thank you so much and see you on tuesday <laughs>